1890, only 35% of the population of the United States lived in cities and towns. So, consequently, 65% of the nation lived in rural areas. Now, to give you a comparison, according to the 2010 census, 80.7% of all Americans live in urbanized areas, while less than 20% of the population today is considered rural. Before 1896, only those who lived in the cities and towns were eligible for free postal delivery to their home address. Those who lived in rural areas had to either go to the nearest post office to pick up their mail or hire a private carrier to bring the mail to their homes. But in the 1880s, John Wanamaker, the department store magnate from Philadelphia, he wanted to see free postal delivery extended to all Americans regardless of where they lived. Very simply, he understood that there was a huge population of Americans out there who couldn't visit his stores in Philadelphia. And he had the vision to see that catalog marketing was going to be the wave of the future. More than a century before online shopping, Jeff Bezos, or Amazon. But as is the case with any changes, there was resistance, primarily from smaller shopkeepers in country towns and those specialty shops in major cities who competed directly with the emerging department store shopping culture. Wanamaker, Lord & Taylor, Macy's, and Marshall Field, all of these were already set up to sell by mail order in and around the cities where they had brick-and-mortar stores. Now, this issue became political. Republicans, who were by and large the party of rural America at that time, they wanted to expand mail delivery. While the Democrats were firmly entrenched in the major cities with the support of small businesses and political machines. So what does Wanamaker do? Well, during the election of 1888, he made a political contribution of a fair amount to the Republican nominee for president, Benjamin Harrison. And so what happens? On March 5th of 1889, less than a week after his inauguration, who did President Harrison name to the office of Postmaster General of the United States? You guessed it, John Wanamaker. Now Wanamaker was a doozy. First thing he did as Postmaster General, he fired 30,000 postal employees and gave those jobs to political party favorites. The employees had no protection at that time. It, it was, to the victor go the spoils. He ordered the printing of commemorative stamps, which the post office sold in an effort to create additional revenue for the office. Now, some historians have said Wanamaker funneled a lot of this money towards himself, and most philatelists agree that those stamps were of shoddy quality. Wanamaker ordered nationwide changes to the postal employee's uniform. And the bid for tailoring for all of those new uniforms was awarded to a Baltimore clothing manufacturer who Wanamaker had a vested interest. When Wanamaker's department stores missed a deadline to receive a wholesale pricing on the newly translated novel The Kretzer Sonata by Leo Tolstoy, Wanamaker refused to pay the higher price to the publisher, and so, so nobody else could really make any money off of it, he banned all mailing of the book through the Postal Service on the grounds that it contained pornographic descriptions. So he was a pretty slimy character. Not as slimy as some, some I could talk about today, but still slimy. And he was a buffoon as well. 
He predicted in 1893 that the United States would still be using stagecoaches 100 years in the future. I guess he didn't see the rise of that new thing, uh, what is it, the automobile. And during World War I, he advocated that the United States buy Belgium from Germany for the sum of $1 billion if the Germans would agree to a mutual ceasefire. Thankfully, others thought that was kind of a bad idea. But the one thing he did, and yes, he did it solely for his own interest, there's no doubt about that, but the one thing that he did that improved the conditions for a majority of Americans, he designed the machinations and wrote the legislation for setting up the National Rural Free Delivery, that is, RFD mail routes. In the election of 1892, Harrison was defeated by his former opponent, Grover Cleveland, and guess who never got to see his legislation become law as he was fired from the post of Postmaster General, Mr. John Wanamaker. It wasn't until October of 1896 that the first five postal riders took off on their appointed rounds. The first RFD deliveries in the history of the United States and those five riders served the rural areas of Jefferson County, the very first free rural delivery ever in the USA in one of the most rural states in the eastern part of the country in the state of West Virginia. This is episode 33. Welcome to the Brews Traveler, exploring the craft beer scene across North America, one craft brewery at a time. And now here's your host, the man who gets more MPP, that's miles per pint, than anybody, Alan Tatman. Thank you, Jessica. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Brews Traveler. Thank you for finding us out here in the podcasting universe. I am Alan Tatman, and I'll be your host for the next 50 minutes or so. And this week, we're checking in on a destination brewery high in the Appalachian Mountains, Mountain State Brewing Company, and a talk with Willie Lehman, one of the co-founders of West Virginia's oldest craft brewery, and he'll tell us about brewing beer at 3,200 feet above sea level in a town of 500 people on the edge of the Monongahela National Forest. Also this week, freelance journalist Tony Rehagen has a report on beer and health. Well, you know what they say, an IPA a day keeps something away. Tetanus, yes, tetanus. An IPA a day keeps tetanus away. And I can say that because the FDA is not approving any new claims on medicines or foods or anything, so it's okay. Anyway, what was I talking about? West Virginia. West Virginia, the state that seceded from another state when that state seceded from the United States at the beginning of the Civil War. Did you ever wonder how that all came about? Guess what? It was something that had been coming for a long time. As early as 1783, just as the United States was coming together, those citizens living in the mountains of Virginia and further west they proposed that a state be made out of the area where they lived and called it Westylvania. Congress had too many other things to tend to at the time, like hammering out that constitutional stuff and setting up a functioning government. I wonder what that was like. 
We haven't seen it for a while now. And they ignored their petition, mainly because the politicians of the day from the eastern seaboard, and they had little interest in giving up state territorial claims in the West. All through the end of the 18th and into the 19th century, those living in the west of Virginia felt politically alienated from the state capital in Richmond and the federal government in Washington, D.C. The main reason for this political disparity was population dispersal. The eastern areas of the state, especially the Tidewater area with hundreds of slaveholding plantations, had a much higher population density and thus more representation in Congress and in the state legislature than the West. And one of the schemes that the U.S. government had in place in regards to the census counting, and it's almost diabolical, it's really nasty, it was going to make certain that those areas with big plantations always held a political advantage. At the time that the Civil War opened up in Virginia, there were over half a million slaves, and for representation purposes, slaves were counted as three-fifths of a person, which meant that slaves accounted for more than 330,000 heads counted in regards to the census and political representation. In the meantime, the population of the west of Virginia was only about 10,000. Meanwhile, in western Virginia, the population was only a, a few tens of thousands. In West Virginia, farms were small. The owner and his family would have worked the farm. Some would have had a few slaves, but the vast majority did not. Farmers in Western Virginia felt as if public funds were not being used to address their needs, mainly access to market roads and railroads to move their produce to the buying public. So, one of the reasons that Western Virginia and other parts of Appalachia became connected to whiskey distillation and moonshining was because that was one of the most transportable and profitable ways that you could move your grain to market. It was even more profitable if you could avoid paying excise taxes on the whiskey. And I've got a story over on history about that. It's quite so when the Civil War broke out in April of 1861, Virginia called for a convention and presented a petition of secession to the people of the state. The delegates from the western counties walked out of the convention, and those citizens in the western part of the state held two pro-union conventions in May and June of 1861. In October, the citizens of 39 of Virginia's most westerly counties approved the formation of a new Unionist state. A constitutional convention was called in Wheeling over the winter of 1861 and 62, and eventually 50 counties were selected to be part of this new pro-Union state. The Constitution was approved and ratified by a vote of 18,162 to 514 against. Congress passed, and President Lincoln signed into law the statehood of West Virginia on June 20th of 1863. Now, the United States Constitution states that when a new state is created from an existing state, the existing state must give its approval for the new state 
to be made. But not with West Virginia. This is the only state in the history of the United States to which that law did not apply. So, back in December, I made my first foray into West Virginia when I wasn't just driving on I-70. I came out of Washington, D.C. I got off Interstate 66 in the Blue Ridge Mountains onto National Highway 48, the scenic drive through some of the most beautiful mountains I've ever driven through, like the Ozarks on steroids, almost heaven, West Virginia. Set down with Willie Lehman of Mountain State Brewing Company, and here it is, your interview of the week. Almost heaven, West Virginia, and it is beautiful, folks. We are in Thomas, West Virginia, on top of a mountain inside a brewery, and there's a crackling hardwood fire in the fireplace, and I've got a bunch of beer in front of me, and I've got to drive down to Morgantown yet tonight. And uh, Willie Lehman, the owner, co-owner, and founder of Mountain State Brewing. How are you, Willie? I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Uh, I'm really good now. I don't know if I'll get all that down before I have to go. but We can share. Okay. Um, so, you, this is one of the most, that drive that I took up from Virginia was one of the most beautiful four-lane highways that I have ever seen. I mean, the, the, the only thing that I can compare to that would be like out in, out west in yeah, the Rockies. Yeah, it's a scenic highway. Oh, it's yeah. gorgeous. It's gorgeous. So, yeah, you've got a beautiful spot here in the middle of West Virginia, and uh, this is only the second time I've been to West Virginia, and the last time I was, I just drove through on the interstate, right? Right. right. So, uh, it was nice that, to get off in the, off the main road and get to see some of the country. So, how long have you been here now, uh, right here in this brewery? We opened in October of 2005. Okay, and you started out, it was pretty small. It was you and your brother, yep. or your, your stepbrother, step yeah. Brian Arnett. And so you started in 2005, seven barrel system, is that right? Yes. And uh, and now today, now. You're, the, you're the number one selling craft brewer in West Virginia. I believe so. Yeah, yeah no, you are. I looked right. it up. I looked it up on the Brewers Association. Okay. You're number one. And you, uh, what's your annual production now? Around 3,000 barrels. And uh, your brew house is a 30 barrel? 30 barrel. Okay. So you're, you're keeping it busy. You're, you're brewing a lot of beer. Yeah, we, we upgraded from the 10, we ran a 10 barrel system uh, for probably almost 10 or 12 years. So we had, we've really been maxing that thing out. And we just did a big upgrade about two years ago, two, three years. And so now it's taking a little pressure off the brew schedule. We can spend right. a little more time. and. Are you you packaging here? We or? are. Okay. We have a, bottles, cans, cans, cans. A, yeah. Yep. A cask brewing canning line. Do you have an idea of? Uh, well, what's your distribution? Just here in the state? We, we cover the entire state of West Virginia. Uh-huh. Uh huh. We do uh, Maryland as well. Right. And we just signed on this uh, section of Virginia. Okay. So we're just just starting in Virginia, starting last month. Okay. Winchester area. Your your package to your uh, draft business how, how much you got an idea of well we were solely draft for you know the first about 10 years uh-huh. so uh, packaging started picking up and now I'd say we're nearly 50 50 now with okay the package good draft. good now how, flagships how many how many beers do you brew year-round we have four flagships uh, that we are always available uh-huh. and then we do uh, several seasonals throughout the year 
Okay. But in terms of packaged beer, we just we only package uh, our four see our four standards. Okay, and what are, those are? The almost have an amber ale. Okay, the, I just had a drink the, of that. The Seneca Indian Pale Ale. Is that this one right yes. here? Okay, let me have this. Now that, that's good. What's the ABV on this? It's about five and a half percent. Okay. Most of our beers run in that range. That's They're a set. All, fairly set. All of our beers are pretty much a session beer in terms of alcohol level. Is that something that the state... Uh, no, no. The, the state did raise the alcohol limit a couple years back. Mm -hmm. I think it's like twelve percent now. But we've just always found that, you know, that five six percent range is what we. It's sell. what people, people want. like to drink. They take right. them home. They drink them with dinner. Right. And so you've got your IPA, your amber ale. Uh, what else? We do a, an American blonde called the Cold Trail Ale. Cold Trail. What's where'd that name come from? It's based on a hunting term. When you're out tracking, ah. uh, you pick up a trail. It's either a fresh a hot trail or a cold trail. Right. So we sort of use that idea. There you go. And your stout is that your a miner's daughter oatmeal stout? Oh, okay. Yep. Here we're gonna have a drink of that right now. Oh yeah, it's a little uh, bit more of a dry I, Irish I've, stout, not I've real already, heavy. Yep. I've already found my favorite. Yeah, yeah. That's what I've been drinking this time of year. Yeah, that's that's really nice. That's Ferris, really can I get an oatmeal stout? If you don't mind? What? Yeah, this is Ferris, your barman. Chris Ferris, yep. And we've got some visitors. We do. Hi guys, you're on. You're going to be on my podcast, so. All right. <laughs> they're they're playing with the puzzles there, folks. To give you a kind of a visual description of this place, it you feel like you are in, well, you are kind of in an old, uh, hand framed barn, right? And and we've got this this stone fireplace. What kind of is that? Limestone? That's uh, local sandstone. Sandstone. Got a sandstone. Handcrafted fireplace that Willie Willie built it himself, and you built the brewery. Yeah, Brian and I pretty much built the whole thing. I mean, we had a, a carpenter crew come in and do all the frame up for us, help okay. us out. When it came to the interior work, we did all that ourselves, including some wiring and plumbing, which we've had to replace because we didn't know what we were doing the first time. <laughs> On the job training. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So, how did you get involved in, in in craft beer? What 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 road? What trail brought you to this place? Well, Brian and I both. Uh, I grew up in Helvetia, a really small town in Randolph County, and Brian grew up in Elkins, which is about thirty miles away. But uh, we both grew up around homemade wine was big, oh, uh, yeah. home brews, and the occasional moonshine. You know that mm -hmm. stuff came through. So we we grew up around it, and uh, really with me. I went to college and got into trying to make mead and some other stuff like that. And Brian, he, he had a little homebrew kit, I believe, in high school. And uh, then he went in, and after college, he, he got a position as an assistant brewer in Maryland. Okay. And uh, that's where it sort of took off more. He'd invite me up. I'd come up and hang out with him and sort of learn how it works. Where, uh, where was that brewery? It was in uh, Baltimore. Oh, in, in the yeah. in the city. Right. Okay, you you remember the name of the what was the uh, name? It's of called the? Riley's. Riley's. It was a brew pub. Yes. Yeah. Okay. How many years between your first interest in home brewing and getting Mountain State up and going? I'd say uh, Brian he took over as head brewer up there in Riley's, mm -hmm. and then uh, we both sort of independently had the idea of opening a brewery back in West Virginia, getting out of our other professions and just becoming brewers, and that was probably in two thousand and. 2003, we started thinking about 2004, we were like, we're going for it. Mm -hmm. And it took us another year to get all the equipment put together and, and find a location. Okay. And, and build the building and get everything ready. 
Yeah. Why Thomas? Why here on top of this mountain? Well, we looked at several places. We wanted something that had a little bit of uh, traffic from out, you know, a bit of a tourist area. Right. But we both loved outdoor recreation, so we wanted something that we could do while so we were brewing. We got hunting fish. Or, right. Um, biking, whatever. And uh, so Thomas just sort of fit the bill for both things. We both had come up here when we were younger to go skiing okay. and fishing. And uh, the town was sort of up and coming at that point. There was some live music scene going on, which is important to us. We wanted to and meet new people that would be passing through the area. And it helps out for your, you know, for the business as well to have new people coming through. So what's the elevation here? We're around 3,200 feet. And that's, for the Appalachians, that's yeah. that's high. Up, yeah. yeah. From, I drove from coastal Delaware up here and I left like 48 degrees. And now up here it's 20, 21. Right. And there's snow everywhere. Yeah, and blowing everywhere. And that's it, beautiful though, it's beautiful. So you didn't have any family roots here in Thomas. This was just a place that you and Brian thought would be a good fit. Right. We'd, we'd come up and visited as kids, and, and uh, I think Brian may have come and gone to snowshoe, uh, snow hair hunting. But uh, yeah, a lot of it was just we knew of it, and it was a little bit, a little bit more of a of a younger scene uh, than it was back home. You know. You basically were just running the. This was a brew pub for a long time. Yeah, we opened it up, and our. Our whole business evolved around this this pub. Okay. And, and when did you start stretching your legs and getting beer out to other places? Well, within the first year, but we we knew we were going to become a, we knew we wanted to be a distributing brewery. So we started by uh, taking growlers or or just jugs of beer to uh, restaurants around town. Okay. El, not not just in Thomas, you know, Elpins, um, where we grew up, uh, Snowshoe Mountain, the ski resort area. Nice. Uh, Canaan Valley, we would go in there and we'd meet the managers or the owners and just have them try the beer and try to get on draft at those locations. And that was within the first year we tried to do, we started, we got a few few locations picked us up in the first year. So now you have a couple of other locations yes. that, are, that have the name Mountain State Brewing. Yes. How'd that come around? Well, that was uh, stepbrother Brian. He, uh, he got married and he and his wife decided they wanted to Try to do something more on the restaurant side of things, mm -hmm. and so they ended up opening a place up in Deep Creek, Maryland. Okay. And it, uh, they put a lot of work into that, developed a menu, and it did. It's doing well. Uh, that's where the, the whole brick with the wood-fired pizza started right. up there. And after that, did well. Decided to do another one in Morgantown, and we just uh, just opened a third one in, in Bridgeport. So you have three. Yes. Where's Bridgeport? I'm not Bridgeport familiar with Bridgeport uh, is south of of uh, Morgantown, about. Uh, maybe 30 miles, 40 okay. miles south. What was your background in college? You said you went to college. Right? Well, I went to college uh, for archaeology and anthropology. I've oh. always liked the history and, and digging up old things. History major, yeah. English minor, grad school history with an emphasis in American colonial frontier. All right. Yeah, yeah. You, you try to get a job with that. All right. That, that's why Start I start making I, beer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tell me, you, you decided on Thomasville. What? What's really unique about this in all of the rest of West Virginia? Well, I think Thomas, well, like I said, really has a has a. Oh, I said Thomasville, didn't right, I? Yeah, Thomasville. Uh, Thomasville is a little town the south of where I live in Missouri. So anyway. Yeah. No, Thomas has a unique thing. It's got a good local uh, population that you know gets out and does things. But there's also a tourism, tourism industry here. The people coming in from out of state from other, or other areas of the state even. Right. You know, people come to this part of the state to... Uh, Blackwater Falls, you know, places like that, Canaan, White Grass. And so, uh, but for this area, there's a, a pretty good uh, live music scene. Right. Uh, 
local artists seen down in Thomas. Some good food restaurants. There's a skiing, all the outdoor stuff, and then there's several breweries that have you know, us. There's a, a great brewery over in, in Davis called Stumptown. Okay. And there was one called Blackwater Brewing. I think they may have closed right now, but they may be reopening. Okay. So there's quite a bit to do for a small area. What's the population of Thomas? Uh, Ballpark. I would say around 600. Does that include dogs and cats? Right. Yeah, yeah. okay. Not the dogs, probably the cat. <laughs> You've been in this business now for 13 years. Is there something about it that really surprised you? Uh, I, don't, I think that the, uh, you know, when Brian and I opened this, we, we sort of knew it was already on, it was sort of on the up, upward track mm-hmm. of, I'm, I'm sort of surprised that it's, it's I mean, West Virginia has taken, taken quite a while for it to really catch on. And we, we've been here for 13 years and uh, it took five or six years for us to even be able to get, to get our beers consistently put on in restaurants. People right. are like, well, we're not sure if, if that'll sell around here. We don't know if it's going to take off. That is just not, now, just right. now happening. That's not an unusual story. I hear this from other brewers in more rural states. Right. They, oh well, I got a craft beer. Mm-hmm. Tick the box. Yeah. So you, you you ran into that a lot. We ran into it. I mean, Thomas, like I said, with with the uh, tourism people coming through, you have people with a little bit different tastes. They're used to seeing craft beer everywhere. Right. So they'll ask for it, and that, so a lot of the local restaurants immediately would start putting it on. And it's just now starting to, you know, a lot of our beers are session beers, and they're, they're, the recipes are developed that way to to uh, invite people that aren't used to drinking uh, micro beer. Right. They don't want a 9% beer, a real heavy beer. No, they're used to yeah. drinking a 45 yeah. 5% yeah. beer. And That's they what they're used to. with different flavor, which we provide. And, right. And you know, we do, we will throw in some seasonals that are, you know, higher alcohol, bigger, a bigger uh, grist bill, but most of our beers are based on the, on the session You've got to you've got to sell to the market, and right. that's what your market wants. I've seen, yeah, we've seen that. We've seen that uh, trend of the, of going from you know the IPA to the to the even super hop, the, the extreme levels of like high alcohol, high hops. And I don't think that that's going to last. I mean, it will always be a, a market for that. But I don't, right. as a production brewery, right, we're not going to go down that road. We're going to continue to make the general. Easy drinking, delicious beer that you know people want to drink There's, all the time. Willie, what do you see uh, will be the challenges in uh, the craft brewing industry? Not only the industry, but also for Mountain State coming down the road. Well, I know some of the challenges we've dealt with are just uh, hop scare supply. You know, uh-huh. people get. Uh, the grains, you know, getting all your, getting all your raw materials, I think, is one of the big problems. And there's so many little startups and people going in and out of business, so you end up getting uh, sort of you end up getting the, the scare factor, like, hey, we're going to run out, we have a shortage of this. You end up overordering, trying to get get forced to sign these big contracts that are down the road that you end up having to unload product. You right. Need. That's an issue. Uh, and then changing tastes, like we've said, you know, you have to be able to adapt with what people are drinking. Not everyone's not going to want to drink. Right. It's the one thing you're making all the time, so you've got to be able to adjust things, keep people excited about what you're making. New new, new flavors, new... Mark Henderson with Lazy Magnolia, he said, you know, uh, or no, it was his wife, Leslie, she said that craft beer drinkers tend to be promiscuous. Right. Yeah. They're they're always looking for something new, something different. We've and we we felt that like you know, in a small town, people will come in. You're the best thing in the world for a while, and then you know, you're just old hat. 
But if you continue to make a beer that is quality that you right. like, it will sell. Right. It's going to be. Right. Because there's always going to be new people that haven't had it and they're going to like it. And then, you know, it's going to spread your number one seller, I, I think you told me, but it's the Amber. All right, Amber Ale. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Do you guys, um, you got, you have such a neat location up here. Do you have any annual festivals or big parties? What, what do you, what do you do here for, to kick it off? Um, there are several festivals. We used to uh, host a, a bit large music festival called Bruce Guys. Okay. We, we pulled away from doing that uh, because when we did our big expansion, just because we didn't have the resources and the people right. to, to run it all but there are other you know the the, the, um, the skiing community there's a, a big local community out and do things every week mm -hmm. uh, in the summer there's a ride at five guys all get together ride their bikes and in winter to do a ski hashes skiing around so the community is very, very active and there's plenty of plenty of little uh, potlucks and house parties and things going on okay so the, so the ski trails you're talking about are these uh, cross-country cross-country yep. yeah there is there any alpine or downhill here? There there's uh there are two two slopes, uh, Timberline and Canaan Valley. Okay. And then there's a really great uh, cross country place called Whitegrass. So what metropolitan area pull do you pull the most people from up here? Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, more? Baltimore, DC. Okay. Yeah. They're all yeah. Like three hours, so it's right. convenient for everyone to make a weekend trip. So you've been here now thirteen years. You've come a long, long way. Is there any new developments coming along for Mountain State Brewing that your uh, your loyal followers might want to know about? Well, we're going to continue to do our, our seasonals. Okay. And we're always open to uh, suggestions on you know any kind of new seasonals that people might request. We're happy to try something new. But we're going to continue to, to uh, work, focus on our quality of our standards and, 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 and work on getting our distribution out to further right uh, more areas what uh what seasonals have you got on tap here right now right now i believe we have a john brown ale and our colossus harvest pumpkin so is this the john brown right here so. john brown's body lies a smoldering in the grave <laughs> that's good that's really nutty yeah thank you 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 haven't you didn't put any pecans in there well we do have uh i think we have a uh or do you say pecans? Pecan. Okay. Pecan pie. No. Yeah. No, what, do you, what do you guys say in West Virginia? Missouri, in northern Missouri, we say pecan. In the Ozarks, they say pecan. I think I usually hear pecans. Pecan? Yeah. Pecans. I don't think we put chestnuts. We have a chestnut ale, too. That's not our one we have on here. Yeah, that is. That, that's the one. That's got the, the local harvested chestnuts in that one. This that's one? Right. This one? Yeah. The John Brown. So that's why you're tasting well, the, the nutty flavor. Yeah. I what think if we have a whole couple bushel of chestnuts in the walk-in cooler right now? I just saw them. I haven't, I, haven't, I haven't had chestnuts in years. We don't. The the blight took them all out in, in Missouri. Oh yeah. 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 So, what do we got here? We have two other dark beers here. Uh, well, we have our our oatmeal stout on nitrogen. That would probably be that one. And then other one is the uh, is the pumpkin. Colossus Harvest Pumpkin Ale. I think this, the pumpkins we... That might be the pumpkin. Yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah. It's got spice in it. Yeah. It's, we take that down yeah. in our wood of our... Uh, Nutmeg. Yeah. yeah. Our wood-fired uh, pizza, we have a brick pizza ovens, and we roast the pumpkins uh -huh. down in those ovens. Oh, cool. Anything else that you might like to tell uh, the listeners about Mountain State Brewing Company? Uh, I think they should just come up and visit and uh, look for it and 
in uh, their local watering holes. So ask for it. I promised Marilee, I promised her we're going to we're going to come out here and we're going to, in, probably in September, and we're just going to go down the the spine of the Appalachian okay. Mountains. And uh, so if we come back with the RV, uh, can we park we, on the lot? You can plug it in on the air. Yeah. Fabulous. Yeah. I need 30 amps. All right. All right. We'll wire you up and you break <laughs> up. <after. laughs> and, uh, and we bring our dog. Yeah. All right. You hang out with Sonny. Sonny? Yeah, he's my buddy. He came right to me when I walked through the door. Yep. How, how long you had him? I've had him five, five years now, I believe. Oh, good boy. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Willie. Thanks so much. I appreciate you. you sitting down and having a few words and a few drinks with us. So cheers. 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 And that's it, folks. Want to thank Willie again and Ferris for their hospitality there at the brewery. Uh, after I left there, I walked outside. It was cold. <laughs> it was like 15. The wind was blowing. And I driving those twisting, curvy roads through the Appalachian Mountains down to Morgantown where I went and visited their restaurant and tap room there. And then they also have the restaurant in Deep Creek Lake, Maryland, and the Thomas Brewery. I brought home two cases of their beer, uh, the Coal Miner's Daughter Oatmeal Stout. Absolutely fantastic stout. Uh, really good. And the Amber Ale, almost heaven, Amber Ale. Nice, refreshing, light. It's a it's a Got good body, but it's not real overpowering. Fantastic beers. I really want to get back to the Thomas Brewery in the summertime. Check out the town of Thomas. I didn't have time to go there and see anything. But it looks like it's a beautiful area of the country. And I think that in the summer, it's got to be a lot of fun. They've got a really great website. And there's a video over on their website that tells more of the origin story of the the brewery with Willie and his stepbrother Brian. If you want to know more about Mountain State Brewing Company and what they've got going, that's the place to go, the website. It's mountainstatebrewing.com. Hey, ha, da 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 ya. Ha, hey. Cardion scale buco. What's the rumpus? Now it's time for What's the Rumpus with Tony. What's going on in the world of craft brewing? Freelance journalist Tony Rehagen. How are you, Tony? Doing well, doing well. How about yourself, Alan? You ready to head out to uh, Colorado? Yeah, well, yes, if my knee doesn't blow up. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, um, I woke up the other morning and I had this twinge in my knee and, uh, I mean, I mean, kind of sharp pain at time to time and anyway make a long story short um i've got uh, what they call patellar tracking abnormality which basically means the tendons are not keeping my kneecap and my left knee where it needs to be and so it slides a little bit and it hurts like it hurts like hell so damn yeah yeah so uh but no everything's still set for the trip i'm uh driving out to uh bertha tomorrow and uh then I'll be, and we're going to we're going to go check out a couple of breweries around that area, and then I'll be in Denver on Monday, and I'll be in Denver most of the week. So yeah, it's still set to go, and uh, I got a cortisone shot, and I've got a leg brace, and so hopefully everything will work out okay. So, Sounds good. Well, safe travels. Oh, well, thanks, sure. man. And you yourself, what are you? You got any travels coming up? 
Uh, uh, February is going to be pretty busy, but uh, right now I'm, I'm heading to Indy next week uh, just to visit some friends and uh, do a little bit of work. Um, but yeah, other than that, uh, not not a whole lot until February when I head to San Jose and I'm heading to uh, Tampa for a couple days. Nice. So, well, from one end to the other. That's right. Heading the other way. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, it's, I, I, I think I mentioned. I think I mentioned last week that I'm like uh, I, I was trying to have a dry January, and I hate I hate that, but like. After yeah, the holidays and after, I gave, like... I, I gave up those kind of thoughts a long time ago. Anyway, go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah, it, it, I mean, one of it, part of it was, like, give my liver a break between the holidays and uh, my birthday is in February, so I know I'm going to be drinking a lot of drinking there because it's the big 4-0. But uh, it's also because, like, it's, it, it, it has a direct impact on the pounds. Like, everybody wants to, like, lose weight after the new year, and I'm not, sure. I'm not different than that because you indulge so much. You know, I, I have a real healthy diet. I have whole grains and, like, the green vegetables, low sugar, low fat, high fiber. I run, like, three miles every day. But beer is the exception. So I know that, that this muffin top that's coming up, up up top of my pants is it's beer. Like, I, I guarantee it. And so I'm trying to get a little head start on that before I start being. But you see, you know, and that kind of leads me to the topic I have today, which is kind of like beer and, and health and, and how it deals with your health. Because, like, every so often you'll see those stories, something, some credible source, some dubious sources, or some just crazy, stupid sources that will, like, extol the health benefits of beer. And, and there, are some, there are some elements that are beneficial to beer. You know, the moderate alcohol intake helps your blood flow, which, you know, staves off cardiovascular disease, heart attacks, strokes. It's got iron, niacin, calcium, phosphates, fiber, prevents kidney stones, lowers bad cholesterol, can reduce stress. All that's pretty valid. But, like, last year, uh, a big study came out from the Global Burden of Diseases that basically said that all those benefits are more than offset by the damage. I mean, their bottom line was that there is no amount of alcohol that can be considered completely safe to ingest. And I think we all kind of Ooh. know that deep down. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> but but I, think, I think we all know that deep down. I mean, and, this, you know, there's no parallel Fox News universe where beer is good for you. And what I mean by that is as in you'd be better off, you know, health-wise drinking it than not. But you drink it because you love it. You, you right. drink it, you know, if you drink it responsibly and in moderation, it's probably not going to kill you. Right. And you know what? If it does, damn it, you all, you got, we all got to die of something, right? Yeah, yeah I, re I drink beer because I like beer. I drink wine because I like wine. I drink bourbon, scotch, Irish whiskey. I drink these things because I like the way they taste. I like the effect that they have on my, my body. And I, I'm not drinking one over the other because of health benefits. Right, right. Well, and, and to simplify, like just to, just to break it down to like weight, um, that that's that is an area where I mean, all said that beer is actually kind of getting less bad for you, um, which makes sense. You know, we, we talk about this every week uh, in a climate of increasing awareness of what you put in your body. You know, we've said it before over and over again. You know, the expansion of non-alcoholic beers was you know a couple weeks ago. Uh, session beers. Uh, certain beers that are created and marketed just for their lack of calories. I mean, Michelob Ultra, when it came out with its eight calories of water, I mean, it was practically promoted as a sports drink, and it's and it's, and it's exploded. I mean, yeah. the commercials had you know people swimming, yeah. getting out and chugging yeah. an Ultra. I, I I tell you the one commercial that just cracks me up every <laughs> time I see it, and that's the one where they're singing "I like beer" and they're drinking Michelob Ultra. <laughs> they like beer but they're gonna drink ultra instead yeah, yeah. I, it's like i i'm i'm see yeah i think that anything that's below three percent alcohol should not be able to be called beer but that's, i could see that that's me well and 
and kind of along those lines, and this is slightly better, but like the big recent news was Bud Light, and they announced that they were going to put, you know, nutritional yes. information on their package. Okay, I want to hear what you say their reason is, and I think I have a reason why they are well, starting to do this. They're gonna, I, I they're gonna, they're, like you said, they're gonna start putting the ingredients package like we have on all food and the diet, U.S. dietary recommended daily dosage or consuming quantities or whatever. Anyway, why are they doing that at, over at? Anheuser Bush with their Bud Light. Well, my theory, and, and, and it bears out just because of the business, is that it, because it has four basic food groups with no fat or no sugars, which means quote right. no taste or alcohol. Right. It makes it seem like a life giving tonic compared right. to these other things. Like it's they're gonna they're gonna show you what they have because they have nothing, right. and that makes it seem it's like bottled water, natural. which is what it is. Yes, exactly. It's yes. barley, rice, water, and yeast and hops. What? A little right. bit of hops. Yeah. And the reason and the reason you know that is not just because you can be skeptical about, you know, big beer and their and their marketing or any beer for that matter, but it's because the bottom line is that they don't have to. The the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Tax and, you know, the the ATT, they don't require nutritional. This is the only right. food stuff that doesn't require any I mean, energy drinks, <laughs> bottled tap water has has the nutritional information. It's all zeros, but it's there. It's like water and here it is. But they, they don't have to. So you know if they are telling you they're trying to get you to buy it for some reason. Right. Um, and right. That was another story. Yeah. That, that came out like with, uh, with dogfish head just advertised its new slightly mighty locale IPA made from monk fruit, which is like that no carb sweetener. Right. And it's going to, you know, it's like, it's 4% ABV and only 95 calories and 3.6 carbs. But they're telling you that because they want you to, to drink that beer because of that. Mm-hmm. And they say it tastes like an IPA. And I mean, dogfish head would know, right? Right. And you know, I haven't drank that yet, but I can tell you this. Dogfish, I mean, they don't right. do bad. They do not make bad beer. And right. Sam Calagione, he's not going to put out a product there unless he knows that it's got some merit and there's a market for it. That's exactly right. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's, that go, just goes back to that last point is that they're, they're telling you what's in it because they, they want it to be a marketing point. And that's nice to put that, that seal of approval on it. I have, I have a bit, I'm a bit more skeptical and, and more cynical. I think they're doing it because they're going to try to, they're going to come back with another later on uh, ad campaign. It says, look, we're real uh, open about what our ingredients are. You know, it's water, barley, rice, hops, and yeast. What about those microbreweries? What are they putting in their beer? And oh. that's what I, that's how I think that's the angle that they're going to go to. I think they're going to use this to try to convince their core drinkers, don't try those other beers because you don't know what's in them. Ooh, that's... That seems a little conspiracy theorist, but I don't know. Well, like well, let me tell you what. I have been of a firm opinion that AB InBev has brought out stuff which I call crafty beers. Oh, yeah. For many, many years. Uh, and they're not the only ones to do it, but they're number one. They, I remember when I opened the pub, they brought out a red lager called Killarney. They were going to compete. They were going to compete with Killian's. It was terrible. They bought. They brought out a stout, bare knuckle stout. It's going to compete with. It was nitrogenated on tap. Going to compete with Guinness. It was terrible. They've done this with a number of different kinds of beers over the last two decades, trying to get their core drinkers to try them, and then they'll say, "Oh, I don't like that kind of beer," so they won't move on 
to the real thing. Now, I can't prove that. I just, this is just an observation, sure. anecdotal information from me, a bar owner in mid-Missouri, in the deep heart, reddest part of Anheuser-Busch InBev. And I just feel like they do these deceptive marketing practices. And, and I have had people tell me, yes, you are right. They do do these things. And that, that's what I think they're doing with this labeling thing. This is yeah. going to come back and they're going to use it like, we, you know what's in our beer. It's pure. It's natural. It's everything beer is supposed to be. What are those guys putting in their beer? <laughs> well, and I, I can see that playing, like you said, in central Missouri. But I think, like, and when you're heading out to Colorado, you're going to see this, too. I mean, and you have seen this from your travels, like, especially in New Mexico. I mean, other places, and, and in Missouri, too, let's face it, increasingly more places in Missouri. Right. People give it <laughs> where their food comes from. Like right. it's, it, and, and they give it what they're putting in their body. And I think the craft beer, you can already kind of see it, and, and the information is there. And that's kind of the bottom line here with the health thing is that, and we say this over and over again, you are responsible for knowing where your beer comes from, whether exactly. it's craft, whether it's like exactly. that. And you can find some of this stuff. Uh, and I think, it, I think it will behoove the craft beer industry to tell you what's in it because I think most of these guys don't, you know, they're not putting formaldehyde in their beer. No. Um, in order to survive, they're doing something good. And I think they'll tell you, like, their story is a big part of it. It's just, it's just, it all, I think it will all gravitate this way um, to sing it. But, like, the problem is, is that, you, you know, you want to know what you're putting in your body. But it's not on the labels unless you're drinking Bud Light. And sometimes, you know, you can find it online. Sometimes it is on there, like with the Dogfish Head Beer, where it's being advertised to you. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I've looked around and tried to find some tips to go on when you're just kind of on your own um, to kind of gauge what uh, what styles of beer and what, what, what kind of calorie count. Not say nothing of the individual ingredients, but just the overall calories. Um, and the first thing that, they, that you have to look at is what's always on the menu and on the package, which is the ABV, because right. alcohol and the residual sugars are the two main sources of calories in beer. Right. Um, and, and the alcoholic strength is always printed on there because um, it is required. Um, so you, you got to but in order to calculate those sugars, you need to kind of know something called the gravity, which is essentially like the density of the liquid. Um, and believe it or not, I mean, there are tables out there on, online where you can actually really figure out the calorie count and once you once you take into account all these things but unless you want to be sitting at the bar doing <laughs> equations all damn day at a hobbit bar <laughs> or something like that you don't want to be tasked with that so basically what what, what branch of mathematics would that be oh i mean it'd be, it'd be somewhat chemistry but if you're just working out the table it would just be it would just be basic algebra wouldn't it like if you're just like i don't you, if you're i was using terrible i was terrible at math <laughs> i don't know if you yeah if you wanted to break it down but it, it also takes some of the fun out of it i mean oh yeah um so there, but there's but no wait a minute. now there there might be some there might be some beer and math nerds out there or chemistry nerds that would find that just to be quite entertaining to sit at the oh, bar sure. and figure it out. Not so let, nothing against like nothing against anybody that likes to do that kind of thing because you know we're all part of big one global community, right? All right. Okay. This is true. <laughs> this is true. Although after a few beers, especially a few of these stouts, you might not want to be trusting your results of your of your math, or maybe maybe you'll trust them more. Maybe you get smarter. Maybe that's another benefit. Oh, but, uh, man. but basically, yeah, I, so I looked up and I kind of looked up individually a kind of a basic scale of styles and the, cal the calorie content just as a kind of a as a as a primer. Um, and not surprisingly, the stouts are the highest. Um, you know, we talk a lot about Guinness and it is true that there's only 125 calories per 12 ounce. That's mostly thanks to its low ABV. But that's really the exception when it comes to stouts. Because stouts and porters are typically around 225 calories. 
up per 12 ounce. I mean, especially in those boozy dessert bombs with like the lactose, the chocolate mm -hmm. or the other sweets. I mean, you're talking about 300 oh. to 350. In fact, I was at a bar the other day um, and they had a Goose Island's famous, infamous bourbon County style. I've got, it, I've got a bottle of that waiting to be. Me opened. too. Yeah. Me, me too. And you know, the reason I haven't opened it yet is because I saw on that menu at the bar that it is 430 calories per <laughs> serving. And what's a, a serve? A serving's bomb. not 12 ounces. It's probably like eight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it's One so high in ABV. Like, if, like, they're starting to put calorie information in, in McDonald's and, and all these fast. Like, if you're there, you don't care. Like, let's just right. be honest. Like, if, if, you if don't, you're there, I don't, I don't want to see it at the bar. Yeah. Like, I, I really don't want to see it on the menu when I'm drinking. If I'm looking at it later, I'll want to know. But, like, right. let, let me look for it. Right. But, yeah, what, so the stouts were the number one. Um, and the, the other thing is that lighter color beer isn't always healthier because the IPAs are next. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they hover around, like, 200 because of the ABV. Imperial can be closer to 300. Sessions, obviously, are down around 135. Interestingly enough, uh, Sierra Nevada is 175, so it's kind of in that mid-range. Um, next come, like, the spicy and fruity, like Christmas ales, like the 175 to 225. Uh, it's because of the spice and the fruit in it. Sours, which are great in summer beers, are, are the next on the scale like at 150. But you got to watch out for the carbs in those because right. the sugars, you get up to, like, 400 grams per, right. per 12, 12 ounces. Then comes wheat beers, like the Hyperweizens are like 150 to 175. Fruit wheats can be sweetened, you know, with syrups and stuff. to kind of kick them yeah. up a little bit. And then uh, right, right at the bottom are, are the log, traditional lagers, which are like right around 120, 150. Um, Sam Adams, which is the fuller-bodied lager, is closer to 175. But like, like you were saying, like, sometimes you just don't want to know <laughs> and you just want to enjoy the yeah. beer. But if you I, do, there are, there are ways to gauge it. Right. I, I mean, all that information's out there. I mean, if people yeah. really want to look, I guess what the labeling thing, I guess what I kind of foresee happening is that these uh, craft brewers in their packaging, they're going to have to, I guess, inquire some additional costs redesigning their packaging if, mm -hmm. uh, you know, if they feel the pressure that, okay, this is what the consumer wants. They want to know exactly what's in every can of beer that we make. And, uh, yeah, I, I just I just think on on Bud Light's part, this is probably more um, nefarious than it appears. It's oh, it's a sure. funny little commercial right now. I have a feeling they're going to turn this around against craft brewing at some point in time. That's just an educated observation from being in this business for almost twenty years. Well, longer than that because I had another stint before, but. Yeah, it's just, I, I just see that as being something that's going to happen. But if you want to be an educated consumer and you want to know what you're putting into your body, that stuff is all available from all the craft brewers. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah, and that, we, we hit on that all the time. Like, you yeah, just gotta, uh, if you want to know, you gotta, you got to find it. You know, and that's one of the things about the craft brewers that is com uh, commendable is the fact that they've never tried to hide what they're doing. Uh they, this is we're making beer. This is how we make our beer. This is what we use to make our beer. I mean, how many times have we on this program, on this podcast, have we heard brewers say, "I met another brewer at a conference and he just handed me his recipe book." Yep. Yeah. There, there, there's no, there's no sinister, underwhelming dealings. I mean, there might be a couple of guys out there that are just jerks, but most of most of the people in this community, it's like. Okay, we're all in this together, and here's how we're going to do it. Mm -hmm. 
So absolutely, and I, and I think they're, and I think most of them are also proud of their process. And I, I think, I think that that will open them up into like, and then like I said, the information's out there if you want it. Right. I don't know if they needed to put it on the packaging or whatnot because there's also there's always a lot of things going on in our package anyway. Right. There's a lot of there's a, that's its own pseudoscience <laughs> when it comes to what people pull off the shelf. Um, but yeah, it should be interesting. Okay. Anything else on this topic? Nope, that's that's about it. January is almost over, and I can't wait. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna throw the calories right out the door. <laughs> well, I wish you could come tonight because I'm gonna throw uh, some calories down my throat. Mother's tap takeover tonight at the pub, uh, and I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna be recording there. Uh, hopefully, we'll have some craft beer uh, aficionados and beer geeks and beer nerds, and we can talk to them about what they think about craft beer for an upcoming episode. So awesome. Well, I wish I could be there too. I wish you could, but thanks for, uh, thanks for calling in and Tony Rehagen, freelance journalist. I wish you well, my friend. We'll you as well. Safe travels to Colorado. my friend. All right. And we'll talk soon. All right. That's it. You've been listening to the Brews Traveler. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or check out our blog on website, thebrewstraveler.com. Cheers. Well, that's it, folks. Please follow us over on Facebook and Instagram at the Bruce Traveler Podcast. Send me a message. Tell me what you think of the show. If you've got any questions, suggestions, ideas, or if you'd rather, send me an email. Cheers at thebrucetraveler.com. Please go over to iTunes. Give us a five-star rating and a glowing review. If you haven't done it already, please do that. It would mean so much. The soundtrack for the Bruce Traveler is so graciously provided by our friends, Gaelic Storm. You can check out what's coming up for them in 2019. Head on over to their website, GaelicStorm.com. Marketing consultation provided by Mission Digital Marketing. Now, if my knee doesn't fall apart in the next day or two, I am heading to Colorado on Friday. I'll be there Friday morning and I'm planning on being a couple of places. If you want to know where I'm at, all you've got to do is check out the Facebook page. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of next week. And I'll let you know what breweries I'm going to be checking out in the greater Denver, Boulder, Fort Collins metro area. So that's it. If I don't see you at a pub or a tap room in Colorado next week, I'll see you right back here on the podcast. Drink locally, think globally, take care of each other, take care of the earth. It's everything we've got. And Marilee, as always, honey, I love you. You are the measure of my dreams. Thanks again, everyone, for listening, and so long for just a while. Let me introduce myself. My name is Paddy Green. I am the mammy's pride and joy. I'm a fine old Brooklyn. I come from the county Waterford, near the village of Tremor. I've been living at home since I was one, and now I'm 44. I was born to be a bachelor, I'll never walk down the aisle. Me man still makes me breakfast, living it up in style. Girls, you never catch me, staying single is the plan. Born to be a bachelor, sure I'm your only man. Saturday night, me and the boys go on a spree. You can come down to the disco and have a drink with me, with the ladies on the dance floor. I'm a wild and crazy guy, 
With me white socks and me black suede shoes And me thin red leather tie I was born to be a bachelor I'll never walk down the aisle Me man still makes me breakfast Living it up in style Girls, you never catch me Staying single is the plan Born to be a bachelor Sure, I'm your only man Good people in any country cease their vigilance and struggle, then evil men prevail. Pearl S. Buck, American writer, author of Pulitzer Prize winning novel, The Good Earth. Born June 26, 1892, Hillsboro, West Virginia. Died March 6, 1973. Danby, Vermont. <laughs> 